Folks, welcome back to Today Your Love, Tomorrow the World Series. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. We haven't done this show in so long, I forgot to say Ahoy Mets fans to start off <laughs> because it's been over a month since we recorded. Uh, we each had some family stuff going on uh, and just other things that prevented us from recording, but we are back, baby, and better than ever. Um, so, <laughs> anything happened with the Mets in the last six weeks? Uh, just a few things. I think it's nice to kind of come back from a break like this and catch up on a, a bunch of major news but uh for for those of you who may have forgotten where the last episode left off david stearns was introduced after that episode dropped <laughs> so we yes. all knew he was going to be the president of baseball operations but uh, that was certainly a significant changing of the guard uh that that day Yeah, I mean, let's let let's start with with Stearns. So we had speculated on the last episode that Stearns was going to come on board, and he did, and he gave his opening press conference, and it was the type of thing that you get from these uh, from these you know press conferences where some of it sounds really good, some of it sounds very sort of boilerplate, cookie cutter, uh, you know what you expect going in. Um, I thought he carried himself relatively well. I thought he answered it, uh, you know, I thought he answered every question relatively fairly. I wish that he, you know, was a little bit less robotic. But, you know, again, everybody in baseball at this point is media trained within an inch of their lives, even the people working in the front office. But I didn't get any sort of overwhelmingly like bad or good vibes from the presser. Did you? No, it was very business-like. Uh, I thought it was funny for somebody who's been in, in such a prominent position. Uh, he, he like, distractingly said, um, a lot. It was... <laughs> I got hung up on it. I don't know why. I, I, I guess uh, when Sandy Alderson first came in, he had a couple of things that he would kind of fall back on. And I remember people would harp on that. But... Uh, Whatever uh, that 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 caught my attention during the press conference more than anything, more than most of what he said. Uh, like you said, it's very businesslike. Uh, there's not a whole lot. Even the emotion of "Hey, I was a Mets fan as a kid," and I mean, he did tell that one story about sneaking into games at Shea and uh, that kind of thing. I think that was a good attempt at, at being relatable. And uh, yeah, but it was. The biggest takeaway for me from it, other than being picky about the way he spoke in public, uh, was <laughs> that it was just uh, it was nice to hear him say that we intend to be competitive in 2024 because I don't think anybody believed that the Mets and Steve Cohen felt that way when they decided to uh, sell the way they did at the deadline. And. I don't think anybody thought Max Scherzer was lying when he when he said that it was presented that they were retooling to look a little further down the road and uh, they're going to be sending him to a contender. I, I think that was all truthful, but it it was something that just didn't really ring true to what we know about Cohen uh, owning the Mets. So we'll see. It is the offseason now. Uh, today, as we record, is the first day that free agents can sign. Um, we'll see what the Mets end up doing with it, but it, it was just good that he came in and was willing to say that we intend to be competitive next year. 
Um, that's that doesn't necessarily mean we're all going to love the first off season. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they will be competitive, but uh, it, to get him actually saying that on the record was was nice. The other thing he said that was, um, I I, I want to say it was revelatory or it was uh, so shocking, but the way he talked about Pete Alonso seemed to calm some of the oh my god they're going to trade Alonso talk. Do you did you get the same vibe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that was that. I thank you for the reminder on that. That was definitely a significant thing that he said. So, um, I've reached a point where I don't worry about players leaving my team until it actually happens. Uh, just I don't know. I, I either I decided that it's not actually stressful, or I'm not going to let it stress me out. Whatever the case, <laughs> Pete Alonso is a Met. I hope he's a Met for many more years. And yeah, there, there's the money is obviously there. And uh, the way that Stern spoke about him was just, it, it was nice to hear. It, it was, I thought, a fairly accurate assessment of who Pete Alonso is. And I, I can't imagine being in, in those shoes where, okay, uh, you know, I grew up a Mets fan too. And, now I went and worked for some other team for years. Uh, would do you like totally let that you know kid party you go and not remember what it was like to be a fan and, and follow that team just a little bit more than everybody else, you know, and then come back to it? So it felt like he he got who Pete Alonso is. Um, yes. And and I think that's a good thing. So, yeah, and I think that you know, for, look, I know that there are plenty of Mets fans who are still panicked about him trading Alonso, and I suppose there's a there's a chance that still happens. But when you just traded all these pitchers, when you basically do a fire sale mid season, but you say you're still going to be competitive next year or the year after, you can't then turn around and also sell Alonso, right? It just seems like that is not what that's not how you handle that situation. And you don't, you know, you want to build up confidence in your fan base in this new front office. You have Steve Cohen's money. There's no reason to trade Alonzo. There really, I mean, not no reason. That's obviously overstating it, but it seems like there there are many more reasons to keep him than to get rid of him right now. And I can't imagine a situation where where Cohen and Stearns would think yeah that's the right move for this offseason if they were totally planning to break it down and just you know sell the team for parts that's a different story but when you have a core of the team in Lindor, Alonzo, Nimmo um, you know Diaz to a lesser extent, McNeil after the terrible year he had. But you have this core of a team. You have to try to capitalize on that core. And as much as we loved Scherzer and Verlander while they were Mets, those guys were never going to be part of the long-term plans for this team. And so I think there's a big difference in trading off those guys and, and doing a great job in collecting pieces versus trading Alonzo, which sends a very different message 
to the fan base uh, than trading those other guys. At least I think so. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I I felt I felt good about his answer there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, shortly after Stearns came on board and during Stearns' press conference, he said he was looking forward to working with Billy Epler. And, uh, you know, <laughs> just a couple of days later, Billy Epler resigned. Initially, his resignation was framed as a, well, look, I don't want to be, you know, I, 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 want, I, I want Stearns to be able to do his own thing, to make his own front office. And so I'm stepping down so he has the chance to basically build the organization he wants to without any sort of stray parts. But almost immediately after that happened, we got a uh, a news report that Epler was being investigated by Major League Baseball for, quote, improper use of the injured list. I know we have said a number of times that the LOL Mets thing is over, but has there ever been a weirder investigation into a GM than this? No, definitely not. Uh, many times on the podcast and probably in writing at Amazing Avenue, we have uh, referenced injuries that might seem a little bit on the phantom side. Uh, again, I will acknowledge we didn't believe Tom- Tomas Nito's injury, and it turned out that, that was real. Sorry about that. But there are... Yep, <laughs> there, there there are plenty of times when it's borderline. I mean, we saw um, it, this gets right to the point I want to make about it being directed at the Mets. Uh, we saw the Dodgers do it with Noah Syndergaard this year. The injury was he sucked, mm-hmm. and he right. went on the injured list, and they brought him back. He was still bad. Then they DFA'd him, but they gave him a breather on the IL. Uh, we've seen. So many teams do that sort of thing. And uh, we follow the Mets pretty closely. Uh, I can't think of egregious misuse of the injured list this year. Really? No, neither can I. I I just don't understand how anything they did with the injured list this this year would rise to the level of I mean, what's the last investigation that felt somewhat similar to this? When when uh, the the Cubs got in some hot water over service time manipulation with Chris Bryant, maybe, maybe, yeah. Um, I feel like obviously the you know the heaviest investigations have been everything related to the league's domestic violence policy, but from a front office perspective, um, yeah. It feels like the league is taking this weird thing with Epler much more seriously than uh, than they would any other team or executive. So I I I just don't know. It's very weird. Yeah, I I don't know exactly. I mean, first of all, they had not said what the violation was, right? So we can't even really investigate it. We can look back at all the IL stints, but do you know how many IL stints a team has? Like it's it's you know. It's crazy. I don't know if this is something as simple as um, just there was a there was a form mis mis misfilled that was filled out incorrectly. But I don't think there'd be this investigation if it was something that benign. It seems like this is something that's more um, substantial than that. And I just don't know what that thing is. But beyond that, I think that the Mets getting rid of Epler. I mean, they're, they're not. He is resigning, 
But I do think in some ways it is better for Stearns to build his own front office. Right. Even though I don't think Epler, I mean, look, it's hard to judge Epler because on one hand, he was not very effective for his first year in the role, but then he did an incredible job at the at the break trading for all those prospects. So I think it's very hard to judge him accurately. But I think if all things are equal, you do want the head of baseball operations to set the tone for the front office. Right. Yeah. And, and Epler was at the helm for the 101 win season. And I, it, it's just a very weird two year tenure, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I, at least it feels like the Mets are in good hands. Uh, of, of course, it had yes. to be weird. Uh, <laughs> yes. But it had to be weird. Well, t- speaking of things that did not go as expected. In addition to a new president of baseball operations, the Mets also have a new manager. Uh, after uh, Buck Showalter had uh, announced at the end of the season that he would not be returning next year, they were mutually parting ways. There was basically one name that everyone in baseball presumed would be the Mets' next manager. Even while the Brewers were in the playoffs, people were saying Craig Council is going to be the next manager of the Brewer of the Mets, and. Craig Council interviewed for the job, the job that he did under President of Baseball Operations David Stearns. Seemed like a no question, easy shoe in. But no, he's not managing the Mets, nor is he going back to the Brewers. He's going to the Cubs in what is a very, very weird move. Um, but we're not going to talk about that too much. We're going to talk about the Mets' new manager, Carlos Mendoza. Now, I'll admit, I don't watch as many Yankee games as I used to. I used to be the guy that if the Mets weren't playing, I would throw on a Yankee game. And, um, you know, I, I I was never a Yankee fan, but I always felt like watching baseball is better than not watching baseball. So let me watch some baseball. The last couple of years, uh, I don't know if it's having kids or just um, valuing my free time more, but I, I, have, I have been watching less Yankee baseball than I... Um, that I did in the past. So I really do not know much about Carlos Mendoza as a bench coach. I know that he is a, he was a career minor leaguer who um, worked his way up through the Yankees system. I, I, you know, working in various minor league uh, affiliates and whatnot. And there's been their bench coach since 2019 after starting in the season, um, starting in the organization rather in 2009. Do you have any thoughts at all about Mendoza? Not too much more than that. Uh, he's relatively young. He's 43. He's from Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously bilingual. That, I think, can be an asset. Um, translating through a translator. I, I, I can't imagine it feels the same for either person as having that conversation directly. Uh, so right. obviously this is not the entire reason to hire somebody. But... Uh, the Mets do have a Venezuelan superstar young catcher in, in, in the making. Uh, what he did at, yep. at such a young age was very impressive. Uh, we'll see how the offseason plays out and how many of those prospects the Mets collected at the deadline they keep going into next season. But uh, Luis Angel Acuna is, is also Venezuelan. Uh, Luis Guillorme as well. Uh, we'll see how he fits in to the Mets plans potentially uh, for, for next season. And that's uh, it's it's a good thing. Now, of course, the Mets have one prominent Japanese player, and uh, if the offseason goes as we all hope, 
maybe one or two more. Uh, I don't, right. I don't, as far as I know, he's not fluent in Japanese, but hey, maybe, but we, we just don't know. We don't know much about him. I feel like bench coach is right. just such an obscure role. It's the guy who, if you did watch, if you watched every Yankee game, if they all didn't conflict with the Mets and you watched every Yankee game, you'd be like, oh yeah, that guy was technically the manager for like three innings after Aaron Boone got ejected. Right. <laughs> and he didn't right. actually make any decisions. We all just pretended he did while Aaron Boone sat in the, you know, in, go to your room. Essentially. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So it's such a weird, I, I don't have an opinion about any of the Mets bench coaches for the last 20 years. And Right. For that stretch where I went to spring training seven or eight years in a row, I, I think it was, I, I I was like standing next to the person who had that job. And I, I don't know what they did. <laughs> right. right. So all of which is to say, um, it, it seems like this is somebody who was considered managerial, uh, managerial material in, in the baseball world. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he interviewed with the Giants and the Guardians this offseason as well. Right. And I believe Craig Council, he, had he managed before he was hired? I don't think so. Let's see. But I feel like but Stearns gave him his first managerial yeah. gig. So in that sense. That sounds right to me. Uh, certainly, that was certainly his first major league one. Uh, yeah, so he retired in 2012. By the way, as as we're running through a little bit of this stuff, I would when I heard that Cleveland hired Stephen Vogt as their manager, uh, I thought he was still playing. Wait, what? I I I thought he was still playing too. I missed this whole news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They <laughs> he's their new manager. Uh, he he. When did he retire? Uh, Is it last yes. year? Yeah, he played in 2022, which I think. It, obviously not including the era when there were player managers. Uh-huh. Once that position became ex- extinct, I have to think that vote is the fastest turnaround from player to major league manager that I've ever seen or, or that's ever happened in the game. I would think so too. Yeah. Council, yeah. as I'm looking back at his history, um, you know, retired and did a little bit of work in like, front office special assistant stuff and uh, a little broadcast work. And then three years after he had, uh, after he had retired from being a player, he was hired to manage. So yeah. And now he has been considered one of the better managers in the game. So uh, I don't want to say that that was, that's guaranteed to happen this time around. And I know Stearns had worked his way up in titles. Uh, so the timeline here, I don't even know if Stearns was necessarily the, like the ultimate decision maker in that hiring, but, um, but yeah, it, let, let's give the guy a chance and it'll be very yeah. interesting to see. It, it's a little weird that the Mets haven't said when they're going to introduce him yet. Not like a big deal or anything, but uh, I would assume sometime in the next day or two, they'd want to get him out there and uh, let people hear from him. So it'll be a lot easier to have an opinion after that, I think. Yes, absolutely. Um, 
I also wonder if this is not too dissimilar from the Epler situation where in some ways it is easier to mold a brand new manager and do the thing you want him to be versus take on a manager who already has tendencies and habits and whatnot. Um, although you would think councils would be aligned with Stearns because they did work together for so long. Right. Um, but, you know, just just this idea of, especially in the in the modern game, we really don't know what a manager's role is anymore. We know that they're theoretically in charge of on-field decisions. We know that they're very much a liaison between the front office and the players. We know that they, um, you know, have have a voice in the conversation about how things go. But it seems like the general manager and the front office are much more the decision makers than the managers were. I mean, certainly 20 years ago, but even five or 10 years ago, it seems like. And so I don't know if it made sense for them to feel like, well, if we're going to spend, and look, I know Cohen's money doesn't matter, but council really wanted to be the highest paid manager in baseball, and they felt like they weren't going to get a return on that investment. I understand why they would, why if the manager's position is not as important as it used to be, I could see them saying, well, then why are we going to spend all this money on council? Yeah. I get it. I don't know if I agree with it, but I, I I can see the I can see the thought process there. Yeah, yeah. No, um, it's yeah, it's something that we'll see play out, and hopefully, it was a good decision. And for the Simpsons fans like us who are out there, uh, every time something goes wrong, there's always the potential to use the Mendoza. Oh. Uh, that that's one of the best uh, Simpson like movies within the show yeah. is watching the first McBain movie. Yeah. Everything in that scene is so perfectly yeah. done. <laughs> so uh, yeah, here we are, but looking forward to hearing what he has to say uh, himself. And uh, I don't know. I feel like obviously it's a big change to go from Buckshell Walter with, decades of experience of managing to somebody who hasn't done it before. Um, but I know the bar after Mickey Calloway was, was pretty low, <laughs> but yeah, feels like we're going to be in, in a better place than that. So yeah, what's interesting is when you think about the, the since 2018, when Terry Collins, so Terry Collins managed the Mets until 2017. After that, uh, Mickey Calloway came in. He left in disgrace after that Carlos Beltran was hired. He never managed a game. Luis Rojas came in, a first-time manager, having to manage through the pandemic. A very weird situation. And then Buck Walter. It's been it's been quite the revolving door thus far for the Mets since we've been uh post Terry Collins. And um I hope that this is the start of some stability there. I mean, I, I thought we all I think we all thought that Showalter was gonna be here longer than he was. But Showalter was an older guy. This is a chance to have a manager, you know, stick around for a while. But obviously we have no evidence as to how that will go and and who knows. Yeah. <sighs> so that's where the Mets are. Uh, one last bit of discussion since we I have not spoken since this time. Is the uh, the World Series is over? Your Texas Rangers are the World Champions. Um, 
one thing to say I think needs to be said every time the Texas Rangers are mentioned. They are the only team in baseball without a pride night. So fuck the Rangers. Yep. Um, <laughs> That's right. Uh, let's start there. Um, but also, uh, you know, a couple of former Mets were on the team, most notably both Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer. Um, DeGrom, I guess, I guess both players hypothetically were part of the playoff push. But it sort of felt like neither player really had too much uh, to do with the team's success. Is that just my sour grapes, or do you agree that way? Do you agree as well that both players were somewhat uh, inessential to the Rangers' success? Uh, yeah, no, I I agree with that. Obviously, Scherzer did make it back and throw some innings, but Degrom is in a place that earlier in the season. Uh, once he had to undergo Tommy John again, uh, people were wondering. Uh, I happened to be at the uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony, and afterwards, Jay Jaffe uh, and the, a few other people did some presentations at a Saber event mm-hmm. and sort of figuring out what Hall of Fame pitchers look like as the game changes was part of the topic that came up. And uh, you know, Jay's been on podcasts uh, with us a, a couple times over the years, and uh, it, he's he's a friend of the site. Um, yep. But I couldn't help myself. But when it got to the question and answer part, at you know, asking about pitchers like uh, Johan Santana and Degrom, Santana obviously had a, a, a bit longer of a window, but still relatively short of one where he was one of the best mm-hmm. pitchers of his era. Uh, but I just asked about those kinds of cases. And as a Mets fan, uh, even with DeGrom having left, uh, I would still love to see him win one more Cy Young award and make that case of a short, but brilliant career and, and build a hall of fame case and all that. But Jay's response was, you know, on the Santana side was much more of a, a potential possibility. If, if people kind of shift what they, uh, consider the bar for, for entry. But with DeGrom, his response was, I don't know if he's ever going to pitch competitively again. And right. And that, that's not the ending that anybody wants to see. Um, so it's, it would be different. It would be very different if the Mets seemed like cheap or dumb or whatever. And the superstar player that we love, leaves for reasons that could have been prevented but they they made a decision that already looks very rational and and incorrect mm-hmm. um you know they other than degrom himself had probably the most knowledge of his medicals um and we know historically the mets got those things wrong or or pushed players to ignore them and play through them but it that really isn't the case now. Um, I, I don't know how I have no way of knowing how I would rank them in terms of their medical capabilities uh, in the league. But <laughs> all of that is right. to say, it just doesn't it doesn't really make me upset at all that he got a ring somewhere else. Uh, I I will eat a little more crow here. Uh, 
when he said that he just loved what the Rangers were building and they had won 60-something games last year and he got mocked for saying it. We all understood why you say that and not, hey, they they paid me the most money and that's I wanted money. Uh, We all get it. But but objectively, I looked and I was like, "Ah, building? Okay. This is a team that was really not good and at the time that they signed to Grom didn't didn't really necessarily look like they were going to be great this year. Uh, so that, that season that they put up was, was surprising, but yep, I was wrong about that. So I know you don't listen, but sorry, Jake. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. And, and Scherzer, whatever. I, I feel like a lot of Mets fans between the wild card start that, that went very poorly last year, and then, I, I for me, if I were gonna get kind of hung up on something, the sticky stuff, suspension, and uh, the brashness around it, that that would be a thing to to harp on more. Uh, I don't know, like players have bad games sometimes at very bad times, but as much as Scherzer would speak honestly, he he didn't have the Tom Glavin ending um right so i'm not, I'm not as bitter uh, about that i mean one the mets weren't literally eliminated they could have still won the series after he had that start and two yep. he didn't follow it up by saying i'm not devastated <laughs> right exactly and three yeah. he hadn't been with the braves for 90 percent of his hall of fame career so yeah i'm just I, i'm not i'm not bitter about those two uh Winning titles, Scherzer already had. Uh, Degrom, it's a it's it's a nice thing that he gets to do, and um, you know, to the extent that when he was on the Mets, he seemed to be a good citizen, good good teammate. Um, you know, whatever. <laughs> Maybe an anti-vax back guy. We don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Oh yeah, that was a possibility. Yeah, and then uh, we did uh, one weird thing that came out around like during the World Series or right after it ended was that Scherzer was sick with a stomach bug and like DeGrom's big prank on him was to suggest he wear a mask on the plane. And it was, and, and then he did and like the rest of the team laughed at him for it. But it, it was like maybe it was a good idea to try to not get a stomach bug passing around your team during the fucking World Series, guys, or or the playoffs or whenever it was. But yeah. I mean, he's really good at pitching. Yeah. You can't. <laughs> sure. sure. I, 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 yeah. I mean, my, my only thought on DeGrom winning a championship with the Rangers is that if this bolsters his Hall of Fame credentials one day, it will not change the fact that he's going in as a match. Right. And so there, sure, whatever. That works for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and good for Scherzer, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be hilarious if Scherzer was like, I want to go in as a Met. <laughs> <laughs> he pulled a Wade Boggs, wanted to go in as a yes. as a Ray. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so here we are. And real quick, uh, the Mex pick, picked up Brooks Raley's option. Uh, sure. Makes sense. Had a good season. Yep. Um, maybe not the player I'd want to hang out with off the field, but whatever. No. Um, Surprised he's not a ranger because the lack of pride yeah. bites, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, surprisingly, Adam Adovino declined his option. And 
I don't think he was as terrible as a lot of Mets Twitter or the Amazing Avenue community or what whatever uh, thought he was this year. But he wasn't great. I I, I don't know. I, maybe it's very weird to me. Yeah, and like he has got like the pitching lab in Manhattan that that he like built out right and and we heard a, a lot about how he was all into that you know as a member of the Yankees and the Mets um and then there was one little update of that he wanted to like rework his contract and that didn't work out i i don't know i don't maybe some team gives him 2 years and a little bit more guaranteed money than than what he had in one year uh on that option but was, in terms of a one-year deal, though, he's not getting more than that. Yeah, I would think. I right? would think not. So I don't know if it's just that he wanted to change the scenery, or that he is sees a market for a, a better deal than than we do. Um, yeah, guess we'll find out. Just it was weird. I yeah. <laughs> I'd started writing something uh, as as I do in the off season about free agent relievers and uh, had already put in a few sentences about Ottavino having picked up his option because I just assumed he would. So right. uh, not, not, it's not so rare that a player doesn't pick up his player option after a mediocre to bad year. Right. Right. Like Omar Narvaez picked his up and it was the least surprising thing ever. He barely got to play because of injury and, and getting uh, moved into a bench role and he didn't hit when he played. And, it, and, you know, I don't, I don't think Ottavino's season was, um, an exact equivalent to that, you know, backup catcher and late inning reliever, hard to compare, but, uh, yeah, I, I have nothing against them. Hope it works out. I just, I just find it very odd. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Um, I pointed this out, I believe on our last podcast, I want to say it again. When, when Stearns took over the Brewers, I believe it was 22 of the 40 people on the roster were turned over in his first offseason. And I don't think he's going to have the ability to do that much as a, with the Mets, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a whole lot of new players on the team. And while I like Adovino fine, I feel like just based on the way relief pitchers work, I'll be more excited about somebody else in that spot than I would have been about Adovino, even if they're probably the exact same player. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. New and shiny right. feels better sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that's a it's a fair thing. And especially in a season when things go as wrong as they did this year. Yes, exactly. Just a little... Yeah, the, the biggest... Yeah. The biggest crime that Adovino committed was not being Edwin Diaz. Right. And I, I've, I've made this point, I think, before, but I'll make it again. If the Mets go in to next season, let's say with similar projections, uh, projected standings to this year, and obviously that might be tough to pull off, but let's say they go absolutely wild and sign Otani, sign Yamamoto, and and have a 90 to 96 win type projection on them going into the season. Uh, if they do, and then they pull it off, 
and Edwin Diaz is there and healthy all year, uh, the dude needs some MVP votes. Yes. Because I, I think a lot of times, uh, obviously, uh, you, you look back at everything that went wrong, and, and I don't necessarily think that Diaz being healthy in himself would have prevented everything else from happening. But having a reliever who is capable of being that good might be more important than all of us realize. Yeah. Wait. I'm not sure that even with a healthy Diaz, the starting pitcher injuries in the first half of the season right. would have been affected in any way. But but I'm still planting my flag for the MVP campaign. If Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in 100%. Well, Chris, it's, first of all, it's good to be back in the saddle uh, doing this again. We promise we're not going to take six weeks between every show. <laughs> it's just life stepped in for both of us for, for a number of reasons. And, uh, yeah, but what is your music pick? I, I've been dying for a new McShane recommendation. Okay. So, although I saw the Bug Club for the first time in, uh, well, ever, sorry, uh, last night, and really, really enjoyed it, I, I recommended one of their records fairly recently. Uh, they just, they were in Boston. They are off to Montreal and they're going to hit a, a few other East coast and, um, the Midwest, South, whatever. I don't know. There's a point there where I just, I don't know what to call that part of the country. Uh, but they're around. And if you like that album recommendation from before, check out one of the shows. They're fantastic live. They're really nice people. Uh, it's their first time the touring the United States and Canada, uh, and and yeah, they're they're pretty great. But my album recommendation is also rooted in another recent live show. Uh, I look back; I've recommended three records from Parquet Courts, which is not quite King Gizzard levels of multiple recommendations, but <laughs> um, it's you know it's it's a lot. But uh, Andrew Savage has solo material, and uh, he goes by A Savage for that and he put out a record uh called several songs about fire a few weeks ago and i I threw it on the morning that it came out and was listening to it at home and um i you know my wife and i had the pleasure of seeing him work on some of those songs in like a tiny bar in ridgewood um back over last winter so hearing them fully fleshed out with a band, uh, it's I I come into it with like I, I want to say that his songwriting seems even more deliberate on the solo material, although I think it's always that way, even in parquet courts. But it's it's a little bit slower than most of what you're going to hear on a parquet courts record. Uh, but I just it clicked immediately. Um, so, yeah, uh, several songs about fire, a savage. Uh, it's just, and I feel like it's timely. One of the uh, tracks on the record that I, I think is one of the better ones and one of the more popular ones is called Thanksgiving Prayer. And somehow Thanksgiving is like two weeks away. Um, yeah, how'd that happen? I don't know. It falls a little bit earlier, but also like, what the fuck? Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah. It's I I love having records that I can add to my Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning 
rotation. And I, I think anybody who's listened to this show for this long knows that we like listening to albums. Um, yes. And this one, it just it clicked right away. Um, we got to see him play it with a band that had some very talented musicians who do a bunch of other cool stuff that are that were out on tour with him. Uh, I'd recommend seeing his shows, but that tour might be either over or almost over. So I'd, if you didn't catch them, um, keep an eye out for the next time that, that they have that stint. And I also did not realize until digging into this record uh, a bit more and reading about it a bit that he moved to Paris from New York City, um, which, you know, that the Parquet Courts record Sympathy for Life that I recommended opens with a song that is like the celebration of New York City and appreciating things that used to maybe drive him crazy a bit living there. Uh, but the appreciation for all of it coming out of the worst of COVID. Um, but yeah, so some shifts. Uh, I would assume that Parquet Courts will, will be the next record that he does and, and not another A Savage one. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. But love his work. I think he's an underrated songwriter uh, with a really powerful voice. And yeah, I hope everybody enjoys the record. It's been on my to listen list for a, a couple weeks now. Just haven't gotten around to it. Um, in October, I tend to go movie crazy. I watch twenty six horror movies in October. Nice. And so that that takes up a lot of my uh, new music listening. Time. Hey, maybe maybe so, on the Patreon you drop your list or something i could do that yeah that's a good idea nice little plug uh, patreon.com exactly yeah join, yeah, join yeah, the yeah. patreon yeah. get brian's other excellent recommendations <laughs> well i i watch a lot of shit to be fair that's okay but that's um, like that's what people want to do you want they, they want to watch like a bunch of bad horror movies and like which ones are the most fun yeah. to watch yeah 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 okay <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do that good idea thank you um so uh a friend of mine texted me just yesterday and said, I never know what you're going to like music-wise, but I think you're going to like this album. And so I listened to it once yesterday, and I liked it, but I felt like I needed to give it another listen. So this morning I had a bunch of busy work to do. I, I threw it on as I was getting the kids ready for school and other stuff, and it really stuck with me the second time. And this is a band that I, I think I had heard of before yesterday, but I couldn't really tell you. And I love it when you can come across a band that, you're just not all that aware of and to enjoy their stuff. And so um, this is a bit, this is their second album. This came out earlier this year. It is by a band called Hotline TNT. The band and the album is called Cartwheel. Um, I, I guess you would describe it as like sort of melodic indie rock. It, my big, my big complaint is that they overcompress the drums, but I'm a pedant and these are the things I get mad about, but it sounds really, the songs are really, really strong. Uh, they signed to Third Man Records, which is the Jack White run label, which I don't really have any opinion on. Um, but, you know, I would think that Jack White probably has an ear for successful bands or at least for good bands. Um, but the, the album has really, really strong melody. It has a really cool use of some guitar effects. Like it, the, the, the songs sound very hazy is the word I'm going to use, which I know is not a word that typically is used describing music. But um just it, it, there's a lot of like chorus and distortion on the guitars, but it doesn't sound harsh. It all sounds very pleasant. Um, when I was listening to it for the second time this morning, uh, the song that really stood out to me is called I Know You. And that's followed up by a song called Son-in-Law. And th those two taken back to back were the moment on the record where I was like, oh, 
oh, I like this. This is good. I should check this out. So, yeah, um, I, I know very little about the band. Apparently, they're from New York City, uh, but I, I'm excited to check them out more. And, uh, you know, I, I'm at that age where I, I think, Chris, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older than Chris is, but I think that I am uh, I'm less. When I go see live music, Chris tends to go see newer bands than I do because he is a better music fan than I am. Um, I tend to rely on old favorites when going out to live music, but this record did make me feel like, oh, maybe I should check this band out live. So I'm going to be looking up later today and seeing if they are, if they're playing anywhere near here, because that might be a, a fun show to go see. But yeah, so check out Cartwheel by Hotline TNT. Um, I also like when both of us can, can uh, recommend a record from this year. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, looks like they are touring next year, and they'll be playing. Do they not have a New York date, even though they're from New York? Come on, man. <laughs> oh, that's not cool. Well, eventually, uh, maybe I'll go see this band. We'll see what happens. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you for welcoming us back. We'll be back real soon, I promise. Until then, go to homerunapplesauce.com for all information about our podcasts and uh are you on any social media anymore i'm really not uh instagram for my oh me too i'm on instagram yeah, yeah. yeah. follow us both on instagram uh he's a chris mcshane i'm a brian is an app. yeah I, uh, there are it, photos of it, both, many it, of the bands that i've talked about that i have taken on my instagram so yeah i invite you all to check them out but i'm not really using anything else at this point i'm, I'm at chris mcshane on all of them but that's the only place. Yeah, we and I'm a private app on all of them too. Exactly. Yeah. So, I thought Threads um, had some anyway. promise, and it sucks. <laughs> yeah, I, I I like Blue Sky in theory, but I once I got out of the habit of just like checking a, a Twitter like app, I kind of realized I didn't need it in my life. Yeah. Plus, I probably gained at least a horror movie and a half from not being on Twitter. So just time-wise in terms of uh, watching an extra movie. So yeah, it's worth it. (laughs) All right, folks. Have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.